welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire and Evan Ginsberg. Evan, would you like to introduce our guest for tonight? Absolutely. He's my friend, Doby Maxwell. He's a comedian, a writer, a podcaster, longtime wrestling fan, longtime George Clinton fan. We're like twin brothers from different mothers. Make out <laughs> funk, the P-funk. There he is, Doby Maxwell. How are you? Evan, I couldn't be any better. The mothership is flying over New York and in cyberspace all the way to the Great Lakes in Wisconsin. There you go. There you is that go. where you're at right now? You're in yeah. Wisconsin? I'm in Bristol, Wisconsin, between Milwaukee and Chicago. So I can oh get God. rush hour in two cities. How much snow is there right now? Didn't get a lot. We got about two inches, maybe. Oh, okay. Because we're, uh, we're going through a huge drought out here in California. So I, I just assume everyone else is getting the snow we're not getting out here. I'm hoping for global warming. I want to be, I'm, I've shoveled enough snow for about six lifetimes. Wow. Come on out to California. You won't see uh, a, a, a snowflake anywhere within 100 miles of where I'm at right now. I love California. That's the thing about the road life. It's like you get a little taste of everywhere, and it's, uh, it's a treat, man. I love it out there. I love New York, too. Yes, that's well, great. Toby, I'm glad you mentioned that because as a headline comic, you get in your car and you drive hundreds of miles, much like wrestlers, much like uh, musicians. Tell us, tell us about the road life from your perspective, the good, the bad, and ugly of it. Well, it's funny. I always tell people, it's like most people drive 30 to 45 minutes to work an 8 to 10-hour shift at a normal job. Road performers drive 8 to 10 hours to work a 30 to 45-minute shift. Right. So it's exactly the opposite, but the time outlay is the same. A lot of my wrestler friends talk about it and say, well, you're lucky we have the same drives, but you don't get body slammed 18 times a night, which is true. You know, comedy, sometimes you get a little body slam to your ego. It can be really tough. You know, the heaviest thing I lift is a microphone. But sometimes, you know, you get in some biker bar, some hecklers get you, and then you're a thousand miles from home after the show looking at the ceiling thinking, boy, did I hate my father that much that I had to, you know, get, get yeah. love from strangers? And I think wrestling is the same way. Dobie, I have a question. W would you rather be in front of a bunch of bikers that heckled you or in front of an audience that didn't make any sound at all? And well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question, and I think I've had both, you know, thousands of times. And the one thing I think is a little different than uh, from wrestling than comedy is in wrestling, at least you have your person in the ring. It's your teammate. It's your partner. You're trying to put on a show for the fans. Yes, you get physically uh, uh, hurt at times, but in comedy, one night I could be in front of 2,000 people and staying on someone's couch. The next night I'm staying in a five-star hotel and I'm working on a picnic table at an outdoor gig at somebody's home. It's so different every night, and that's the hard part, I think, while being a comedian is you're by yourself. Sometimes you work with other comedians, but most of the time you're by yourself out there. That's the hard part. Oh, so, yeah. yes, I have had silence and I have had the bikers. So uh, you, you react either way. And yeah, you have no there's no way you can uh, uh, call a timeout or, or 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 do a rest hold or, you know, uh, uh, a cell like an outside <laughs> spot, you know, like you're knocked out for for a minute or two while you gain your bearings, you know? Well, sometimes you're over and sometimes you do the job, just like in wrestling. And it's in comedy when you do the job, that can be a very painful. But the rewards are high. The highs are high, the lows are low, and it's not for everybody. Just like driving a forklift for 40 years is not for everybody as well. I mean, you ask, you ask wrestlers, you ask musicians, rappers, comedians, whoever it is, would you give up the lifestyle? No, this is what I do, it's who I am. You know, the, the, hopefully the highs outweigh the lows. Not always, but we got good stories for those that don't. See, as a wrestling manager, I've always felt like there's a real, like, 
correlation between stand-up comedy sure. and and wrestling managing, but but it is different in the fact that I have like areas where I can concentrate on. I don't have to carry something for an entire show. You know, it's not the focus is not entirely on the manager, nor should it be, right? Right. Paying money to see the manager out there, but they like the the added part of it. You know that they that it, it adds to a, the story element of it, and and it's different when you're stand. I've always wanted to do stand up comedy, and to be honest with you, I think I'm just not brave enough to carry a, a show for an entire you know hour or hour and a half or whatever you do. Well, that you start out in five minute chunks. I think you can you can channel your energy and focus it from a, a wrestling manager. It'll be fun. I mean, it was Evan that I have to thank for introducing to me one of my idols, uh, Johnny Valiant. And I never got a chance to work with him in person. Evan and I were looking at setting up a, a show, and when tragically he passed. But we were on the phone and we talked many times, and and the similarities between it. And it's so funny because he called me so humble. Oh, Mr. Maxwell, I've heard about your comedy. My name is uh, Tom Sullivan, aka Johnny Valley. And I said I used to pay my paper out money to boo the hell out of you. I know exactly yes. who you are, yes. luscious Johnny, handsome Jimmy, baby. And it's he was so flattered that I knew who he was. But any entertainment, I think, is so hard to do that you respect it. As a kid, I hated. Bobby Heenan. I lived in the Midwest and saw, you know, I don't know who your favorite managers were, but there was Captain Lou and uh, Freddie Blassie and uh, Jim Cornette. I got to know Jim Cornette a little bit as well. And I think that is such an important part of the show. So if you can do wrestling managing, you can, I think you could transfer it into comedy. And I'd be more than happy to help you if that would, if that would get your yayas up. It's a hard thing, but I'll help you anyway. Because nobody helped me when I started. I said, I have nothing to lose by helping other people. I really enjoy doing that too. And Dolby, since uh, you mentioned all these great managers in wrestling, I find that the appeal of a lot of them, well, they were really funny. Lou Albano was funny. Sure. He was like an improv artist. Heenan was funny. Yeah. Uh, Kaufman. Yeah, Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, of course. But, Lassie, um, too. Yeah, yeah. Th these guys were really sharp. Johnny Valiant again. But, um, you know, there were menacing guys like Gary Hart. They weren't all funny. But what's, what's your take on that? I mean, as a, as a comedian and as a wrestling fan. What I think, what I didn't know when I got into it is, while there are people that play a dumb character in comedy, there are no dummies that are comedians. And I really think that there are no dummies that are wrestling managers. People always say, well, wrestling is, uh, you know, that's only idiots watch that. Well, it might be for idiots, but it isn't made by idiots. You know what I'm saying? It's very, very smart wrestling theory. You always hear people uh, like Eddie Graham and people like Vince McMahon Sr. who knew about the, the mind of psychology. And I got to start out as a, a ring announcer, and I learned about psychology. I thought, boy, this is no dummy at all. You're working an entire crowd, and you're making the crowd pop in the ring with your partner and, and just as you are on stage as a comedian. So there are, there's so many similarities there. And I think humor, you have to grasp a concept then you have to go one past it to know where the twist is for the humor. So while you're playing an idiot, it takes a lot of brains to figure that out. Yes, interesting. Johnny, Johnny used to tell me, Johnny Valiant, that they would go to the studio, the, the, the Valiants and Lou Albano. They would basically say, okay, August 2nd, you are wrestling Dean Ho and Tony Gurria. This is the venue. And then they would just improv. It was total improv sure. comedy. Oh, yeah. Every interview, hour after hour, they would sit there all day and, and you know, knock out like a month's worth of bookings and uh, cut promos. So that these guys were improv artists, whether fans realize it or not. 
Well, they're also playing a character. I think the most famous comedians are a character, a persona. Dennis Miller said your your comedy persona character is basically you pumped up times 10. It's a caricature. It's an exaggeration. It's a cartoon. And I think wrestlers are the same way and managers are the same way. I got to be a manager a couple of times. I was a local enhancement talent. Uh, the, the, the guys for AWA lived in Milwaukee where I grew up and they had their own federation so i was the ring announcer and they needed a manager one night they said okay what kind of gimmick can you come up with so backstage there was a wheelchair and a blanket i said okay put me in the wheelchair and the blanket yes. and i'll go out there so i got on the microphone and said, i would like to thank all you nice people in palmyra wisconsin i'll never forget it. it's a little town it's a high school gym i'd like to thank all you nice people in palmyra wisconsin for letting a man in my condition participate in professional sports and i got a huge round of applause and a pop from the audience and of course when the referees got the back turned i get out of the wheelchair yes. i stomp on the baby face's head i get back yes. in the wheelchair put the blanket over my legs and the palmyra police had to escort me out of town because they hated me that bad and i thought well, how cool. much fun is this yeah <laughs> it was really a good time so you had no desire to pursue it further no i did not only because i was doing pretty well at comedy at the time and you know the wrestling as you know a lot of the smaller federations even this is back in the 80s you know to, i get a payday of 20 bucks it right. was fun but i could make a living at comedy and i couldn't make a living at wrestling back then at the time so i would love to have done it full time but i so so respect the people that do it it's funny because i had a radio show and uh excuse me the wwf at the time was coming through and freddie blassie was doing interviews and i was the morning guy in the station in lansing michigan so I, I i just you know from the olympic uh auditorium in los angeles this is freddie blassie and he's like kid you know wrestling i want to meet you so uh, the thing is we had a first prize winner on the radio station it was a kid about 10 years old and his father father was an auto worker couldn't have been better winners. We were in a limousine. They sent a limo for us. And I said, let me take the kid in the back. I'll find Freddie Blassie. I'll get some autographs. So the main event that night was Macho Man Savage against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a, a revenge, I hate your mother, grudge match to the death. I'm looking at the back of the arena for trying to find somebody to get an autograph. I open a closet. There's Macho Man with his little half granny glasses on and a Ricky the Dragon Steamboat over a barrel. And they're playing a cribbage, a card game yeah. cribbage. And the yeah. kid looks like, oh, my God, these guys are supposed to hate each other. And Macho Man looked up and said, welcome to the wonderful world of wrestling, kid. And he closed yeah. the door. And it's like he found out. He never said anything after that. Yeah. But it's like those are the kind of experiences. You can't replace that, man. This wrestling is in people's hearts just like comedy is. And I love them both. There you go. So tell me, you know, uh, do you watch wrestling now or you you do you find – I have officially become the old fart. You damn kids get off of my lawn. I love the old school wrestling, the baby face and heels. Now there are no baby faces and heels. No one, no one sells. There's no heat anymore. And it's not the wrestling that I grew to love and enjoy and respect. And I don't have anything against the younger wrestlers today, but it, it's not, it's not a story like it used to be, at least to me. So it doesn't entertain me. I don't find you guys watch it. I don't. Barely. Yeah. Barely. Well, I mean, we, we try to, you know, I, I mean, there's so many different, you know, one of the things that, that Evan and I have talked about is that, you know, when we were younger, there really was only one source of wrestling for most of us. We would only see, like, wrestling from one federation. Here in the Bay Area, it was mostly AWA stuff, you know, and and obviously the, the WWF was big, you know, where Evan was in Madison Square Garden. And I'm sure you, if, well, did you grow up in New York or? I, I, I grew up in Milwaukee. So AWA was mine. Vern Gagne, Mad yeah. Dog Vashon, the crusher. Right, was absolutely. So yes, I, so, I, I, yeah. I went to the Cow Palace. 
Yeah, no, I went to a lot of shows in Cow Palace, and it was a Ray Stevens and Pat mm, Patterson. Pat Patterson, like, you know, uh, yeah. uh, 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 Rocky. Pepper Gomez. Yeah. Was a big deal, and and Rocky Soulman Johnson was was a big deal, you know, out here, and 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 Peter Mayavia, and, and and so forth. But what I was getting to is that that um, uh, uh, you had less choices back then, and we have so many different choices now. Do you find yourself? I mean, we're always drawn to you know looking at AEW stuff, and then there's NXT stuff. Then there's, uh, you know, WWE stuff, and then there's uh, a, a global force wrestling or whatever that the, the uh, that pay per view that you showed me a, a few few weeks ago. GCW. GCW. Thank you. Sure, so there's okay. a lot of different com- competitors to that. You find yourself uh, being distracted somewhat by that too. Well, that's a really good question. I, I would say, uh, I-, I know I'm old and, and crotchety now, but I- as a kid coming up watching AWA on TV, I was so hungry for wrestling. I would buy the magazines, the Bill Apter magazines, and I would see, you know, Bruno Sammartino and Ric Flair and Harley Race in the magazines and pictures of these guys. I'm thinking, man, if I could only see them wrestle, they must be just superhuman. And I never saw them. So I think the imagination of what those guys might be like is more, uh, how can I say, romantic or, or, you know, than actually seeing all the wrestling. It's like baseball. You know, you hear baseball in the 50s. You see highlights of Willie Mays and, and Hank Aaron. But, uh, you know, now you can see every game, every pitch of every game on cable channel. Sometimes there comes a glut and it's too much. Do you guys not think of it? I don't need to see that much wrestling. Well, maybe, you know, I, I see what I want to, but I like the imagination in my head of imagining how good Bruno San Martino was. I never saw him wrestle. Hmm. I, I saw Bruno probably a hundred times over the years. Uh-huh. And uh, he was like a half God to us. He, sure. he was like St. Bruno. And um, the night that he lost to Ivan Koloff, it was dead silence and women were crying. That's, sure. that's what he meant in New York, Bruno. So, um, yeah, it was it was a different era. Now everybody's smartened up and they know it's a work. And, you, you know, back then, I would say the vast majority of fans were mocks. And, you know, we just loved these guys and hated the villains. And um, talk, talk about talk, talk about job issues. I mean, these these guys used to get stabbed. Yeah. Jack Mulligan was stabbed. Piper sure. was stabbed. Moolah. Moolah was stabbed. I mean, <laughs> crazy. You know, so it was a different, you know, you're looking 50 years ago at this point. It was a different world and pre-internet and different fan base. Absolutely. Would you not say, though, when I found out it was a work, I liked it more. I was a mark and I loved the, the baby faces. But look back, the heels are the nice guys. You know, the, yeah. the, the, you leave your dog, you leave your grandma with the heels. The baby, Mr. America, that's the molester. Stay away from that. Yeah. The heels are the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say that. It's true. Interesting. Um, so, Debbie, there's some oh, truth to that. So, Toby, I, I wanted to, to ask you, in wrestling, what is funny? And in wrestling, what isn't, what now about wrestling isn't funny and is is why so many storylines and so many bits that they're doing aren't getting over. Well, here's what I think from a Mark's point of view. I was only around it. I was never in the ring per se, but I looked at it and you might, and a whole card of wrestling, if Evan is watching the WWF and you're watching AWA, you might have a big high spot, a suplex, a pile driver, something like that, a real big move. And it's only in the main event. And it's the last 
event of the evening. You know what I'm saying? That the heel loses to a whatever, Boston Crab, whatever it is. And then up until that, it tells a story and builds to a crescendo. And then uh, now you see 14 high spots in the first match. So the tension and the storyline is is off. So I, I think it's completely like Howard Stern talked about when he got on uh, off terrestrial radio. He said, if I can say the F word anytime I want to, the kind of tension is lost. He goes, I might get a lot of money, but it's more when I'm towing the line and regular radio. And I think the same thing with wrestling. If you're going to build up when Bruno, what was Bruno's finishing hold, Evan? I don't even know what it was. It was a backbreaker when he was younger, but after the bear hug, I remember he did bear the hug? bear hug for a while. Okay, which is I, not you know a high spot by any. No, it really event. isn't. But, but I'm saying you know you, you see so many things now, and these guys jumping off uh, cages and that snooker thing off the, the cage that comes to mind, and even that now that was the main event. Uh, you know, one time. Oh my gosh! Now everybody's doing it in the opening match. You see a guy kick out after something. Yeah. Like that. Oh yeah, yeah. You no. Know? That'd be in the middle of the match type thing. You'd see maybe about 20 other finishing moves before, you know, a match like that would end. And then it would end because somebody's foot is on the ropes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, don't you think, too, It's everything's a craft, whether it's wrestling or comedy. Evan's talking about George Clinton. I got to know George a little bit. You know, I met him a few times, and he couldn't have been any nicer. And uh, Pedro Bell, the guy that did the album covers, artist, lived in the Chicago area, was a friend of mine. I hired him to do my CD covers. So George and him had a falling out. So long story short, I hooked George and Pedro back up a couple of years before Pedro died. And wow. it was really great because it was a happy ending, blah, blah, blah. And we, Pedro and I went to see a show. We saw George before the show. Hey, guys, thanks for coming out. And the opening band, why, you know, they, they played for four hours. Why they needed an opening band, I don't yeah. know. So yeah. The opening band goes out and they're like, come on, Chicago, let's hear. They're doing all the cheerleading and rah, rah and stuff. And they just they couldn't get the crowd going. Here comes P-Funk on the stage five minutes after they're gone. And they had the crowd right there because they were artists. It wasn't the stage. They didn't need any cheerleading. It was the dues that they had paid for a lifetime. They had the presence to go on there and blow the roof off the place. And I think with wrestling, it's the same way. You know, the, the wrestlers are in there and with just a, a twitch of the eye and a look, you know, it, it, all the way in the back of the arena, you know, who are the, the great workers of, of all time? I mean, you look at Ric Flair and I, I never saw Buddy Rogers. Did you guys ever see? I, I hear rumors that he was fantastic. He was he was really before my time. Me too. Um, so Flair patterned a lot after Buddy Rogers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, just like just a sneer, you know. But Nick Bockwinkle was the big heel. Uh, now, did you did you see Bock Bockwinkle? Oh yeah, he, I saw Bockwinkle in New York, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And he was such a, a a sneering heel. Could not have been a nicer guy outside of it, but inside he just he just knew that he had something. He said, "What I want is is people are going to come in there. Maybe half of them think it's a work." And, uh, but the, after that last match, I wanted to go, you know, it was, it was fake, but th- those last guys, they were really going at it in there. He goes, that, that's my hope when I'm in there last. So I respect him for that. And Dolby, um, I enjoy your writings on Facebook. You, uh, you. mentor a lot of younger comedians and I, f- I find your columns really interesting. Like uh, one column recently, you were talking about a show that just went beautifully and it was a natural high and everything was, you know, perfect. And then uh, recently you wrote about a, a gig that, you know, the mic wasn't working and it was a horror show. So, you know, what's the, what's the balance? How, how do you handle such extremes in such, you know, a short amount of time? 
I think I think you have to be mentally tough. I know that sounds like a Tony Robbins rah rah course, but again, it was, that just that happened last night. And I get there, and there is no mic, and and it's there's no spotlight, there's no stage. My I'm surprised my voice is still in there because I had to basically you know yell at these people for they said oh, I want an hour, so 63 minutes. That's a long time. I mean, you hear about wrestlers going to Broadway yes. for an hour. That's a that's a long time. That's a lot of a lot With of no mic. No, Mike. And it took it, it took probably all my 30 whatever years of doing this to learn how to do that. And I, it was for not the greatest pay. But after COVID, you know, I don't know how gas is where you guys are. It's about 415 here, 415 a gallon. So by the time I drove there and drove back, I, I basically barely broke even. I made a couple my of bucks. My friend, it just passed around six dollars. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's going to kill all kinds of entertainment, live entertainment. It is. Yeah, not just for the entertainers, but for the people that go out and see the entertainment. How can you buy a ticket and afford all that gas? It's this is really serious. I have a near hundred mile commute each day, so oh, man. yeah, it's 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 talk about you know. Uh, uh, I said to uh, to to a client the other day who was paying me. I was saying this money that you're paying me is going straight into my gas tank. It's for everybody, it right? Totally now. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So yeah, no, that that it, you know, it's tough because the last couple of years we've suffered from COVID and a lot of venues, you know, didn't get a lot of crowds due to COVID. And now, you know, and then we're still not out of COVID either. No, There's still no. some, you know, people I, I heard today that uh uh um uh that uh, Obama came down with it. He was oh, really? I, had, I hadn't with, heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, don't just, you think eventually we're all going to get it? I think. I really oh, think I can avoid it. I, I, again, there's a meme out there which has, it shows some people from The Walking Dead that are all surrounding each other with like uh, machetes and and you know fending off the zombies. This is the last four people who haven't gotten COVID feel like <laughs> this. You know, uh, that's funny. And, and poor poor Evan has already suffered from it. And, I I yeah. had it. My wife had it, and. Um, I'm sitting on the couch and my brain is going, I have to go to the bathroom and my body's going, I can't get up. That's right. how wow. that's how bad it was the first day. A week later it had blown over, you know, but uh it's it's no joke. I, I, I had seven friends die from COVID. Seven. Oh, that's horrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh none of them were old, old, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies. So um yeah. I think it it did affect everybody across the board, and just you never know. Like my birthday happens to be March fourteenth, so whenever it started, I had a show on my birthday, and well, March fifteenth tomorrow. To thank you, you very much. Old age is officially here. I'm like my free meal at Denny's. Thank you so much. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you get off my life. So, but have my show tomorrow. So get yourself a free pizza. All right. Yeah, I'll get that. Whatever I can get at this particular point. So my point is, I had my show on my birthday, and then COVID shut the world down, and entertainers did not expect that. I had to get a day job for a couple of years to eat. Sure. You know, so at, a, at a convenience store, and it's like, you know, people, oh, God, you're really funny. You should try to be a comedian or something. Yes. Well, thanks. <laughs> did you get any material from being a convenience store? I did, but- and my, my grandpa as a kid taught me to never be – uh, mean to anybody that serves you, whether it's a waitress or, or anybody in that in the service industry, because it's a really hard job, and if you should do it to find out how hard it is, so you'd be extra nice to these people. And I just found out how rude the average public is, and I it, I find it appalling and disgusting. 
Sorry to see that. I mean, I, I try to be nice to everybody. It's one of those. Do you have any where... any stories, any any examples from when you were working at a convenience store, like yeah. any really truly outrageous people that came your way? Yeah, there was there was a big guy. He he probably could have been a wrestler. He was about six six, and three fifty easily. And we nicknamed him Grumpy. He just came in the store every, every day, and he's just mean. He, you know, bark as answers. No matter how hard you tried to be nice to this guy, he just wasn't wasn't up to it. So I don't know if he's you know touched by an uncle, whatever the situation was. He's not a nice person. So it's a very busy convenience store. People say you work in a convenience store, that must be easy. No, the the chain I work for was one of the busiest in the world, and there's always a line of people, and there's a line of cashiers, and they came from the right, like an assembly line. So there was an older lady that was very nice that didn't understand the phone app, and you know I I barely understand it myself, but she was already in line, and she came back to ask me a question, and it took 15 seconds to answer her question. So Grumpy is all mad, and he he goes to the next cashier. The next guy comes to me, and this guy happened to have, I think it was, I th- counted 10 or 12 big uh, hard lemonade, you know, iced tea alcohols, and he's trying to pay for it on the government welfare card. I'm trying to explain to this guy how you can't, the government's not going to buy you booze. That's not yes. going to work. I'm trying to be nice about it. So Grumpy walks behind him and said, hey, we were in line first. You should have taken us. Do your job. And he said yeah. it just like my father would have said it. And I, yeah. I snapped. I looked at him and said, drink a diet coke you fat tub of blankety blankety blank wow and it just stopped the line and i'm a comedian i'm like bruce lee you want to verbally attack me i'll rip your heart out and show it to you before you die i got 35 years of nightclub experience so i went after him i went after the guy that's trying to get the booze for free i look at the lines did anybody else have childhood issues we need to get so i'm like i'm you know I'm Clint Eastwood cleaning out the bar in the movies. And uh, so so it was seven and a half hours into an eight-hour shift. It was a long day. So I came back the next day. Nothing happened. Work a whole shift. Came back the day after that. The district manager had seen it because everything's on tape. And they said, uh, come here. They let me go. And I said, wait a minute. All the times I came in, stayed late, showed up for a shift when nobody would show up. All the good things I did. There must be 75 of those. One thing with a grumpy guy at the end of my shift. And you're going to fire me. Yep, you're gone. So that's how life is out there. So, again, please be nice to people that serve you. Waitress, McDonald's, hey, thank you for I appreciate it. Thanks for that Big Mac and fries. It doesn't, it means a lot. My father was a taxi driver and he um, used to drive 14 hours a day, six days a week. Mm. Same experience. He'd meet wonderful people, miserable people, uh, junkies that would put a gun in his ear, et cetera, Mm. so on, everything imaginable. So um, he used to say to me, respect. Anyone that does an honest day's work, yes. somebody, somebody has to clean the toilet. That's what it's his exact words. He says, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree. He was a great man. That's why you're a good guy. I, I could tell right off the bat. It's like, it's a respect thing and you can't fake that. You could just sense it in people. And I, I hate to say, you know, I, I'm not one for any kind of ism, sexism, racism, ism, ism. You treat everybody well. And if they treat you poorly in return, well, that's on them. It's not on you. And I think the people that are the, the lowest when they come, especially in a convenience store. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. How can I help you today? Hey, this is great. You could just, they perk right up. Oh my gosh, this person is treating me like a human being. It really is a reciprocal thing so now when people find out that you're a stand-up comedian do you think that you get more interest from people or <laughs> think they treat you you know like oh i better not say because i'm gonna be in this guy's act you know no, they, they always say the same thing first thing tell me a joke 
Or the second thing is they tell me the most filthy, vile, nasty, disgusting, racist, filthy joke. And then they say the same thing after they tell me. And you can use that. Yeah. No, no, I don't want, I don't want to use yeah. that. Thank you for your time. I have enough material, but thanks. Funny. I try not to say that. I'll say anything. I'm a proctologist assistant. I never get on a plane or go to what do you do for a living? I, I never say comedian because it just it it never goes well. Yeah. <laughs> Dolby, I've seen in New York some of the greatest comedians ever to grace a stage. Sure, you have. I've seen, yes. I've seen Dick Gregory, Mort Saul, Brother Theodore, who was a genius. Yes. Uh, I mean, Andy Kaufman. I mean, I go back 40, 50 years seeing all the greats and, uh, Dick Gregory used to come out with the, the newspapers from that day, that day's mm -hmm. newspapers, and just mm -hmm. do two and a half hours, all improv. I mean, whatever was in that newspaper, he would play off of it. You know, I have so much respect for not only Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory served uh, people. He was an activist for social causes oh, yeah. to the detriment of his career. Now, anyone that's willing to to do that, I got a lot of respect for. Mort Saul, I don't know if he did it to the detriment of his career, but he did the same thing in San Francisco. He would go on Hungry Eye and read the newspaper as well. I think now what, what's really sad is the average person does not read the newspaper. They don't care what's going on. You know, they're they're blithered at by CNN or whatever. They don't they don't make up their own mind. I think, and that's really dangerous. I think, you know, there's an audience for people that, that thought back then. I love Dick Gregory, loved Mort Saul, all those guys that were socially conscious. He, you know, Lenny Bruce was before my time, but to study what he did and to open up for comedians, everybody that steps on a stage, including me, owes a lot to all those people. Yeah, Lenny, Lenny Bruce was getting arrested, you know, for mm. cursing on stage, and he, he spent more time in the courtroom than on stage at the end. So, uh, yep. yeah, he really sacrificed and. I, I think a lot of the young comedians today wouldn't even know who he is or was. You know? Well, that's why you talk about my Facebook group. I try to tell people like that. So you don't have to like these people, but you have to know who they are. Even George Carlin, who's who's passed away several years now, I got a chance to meet him right before he died. And he couldn't have been any nicer and humble and just what a wonderful guy. And I asked him about this thing in Milwaukee is my hometown. I don't know if you know, he got arrested in Milwaukee at a thing called Summerfest, which mm. is the biggest music festival in the world. It goes for 10 days in the summer and they have a, they had a comedy stage. They still, they, it's off and on, but for years they did. And he said his seven words you can't say on TV on this comedy stage. And he got arrested and it was a really big deal. It happened in 1972. I remember it. I saw it in the paper and I asked him about it. I said, what, what, tell me about the Milwaukee thing. I remember seeing it. He goes, well, to be honest with you, there was band stages everywhere and nobody was listening. The only people that were listening were the police that were looking at me. So I did my seven words bit and they heard it and it was considered profanity at the time. So they came backstage and arrested me and you'll see me handing my jean jacket to my wife. He had a t-shirt, jeans and a jean jacket. He said, that's where all my drugs were. So wow. they, they patted me down for drugs and stuff, and I didn't have any because I passed my coat to my yeah. wife. That's where my drugs were. Wow. Yeah, wow. that's a famous story. Who, who would be who would be your Mount Rushmore of comedy? You know, people ask that question just like with wrestlers. And I don't think, is Bruno Sammartino better than Ric Flair? I don't know if it's better. It's what made you made a mark with you. To me, Rodney Dangerfield is, is the king. I really okay. you know, love him. Uh, I think George Carlin, just for his prolificness, is that a word? And while I, I, I I'm, I'm going to start some controversy now. I never found Richard Pryor funny. Really? And, how can you how can you not find him funny? Maybe I mean the things he talked about, your drug addiction and things like that, were not 
my life. I res- but I respect his influence. I respect his to this day how much he had. So I'd have to put him on the Mount Rushmore just out of a respect thing. But his comedy didn't make me laugh, laugh. And I, I please don't. I didn't mean any disrespect by him. He was an excellent actor. And maybe I don't want to argue with anybody, but it's comedy is a subjective thing. People oh, yeah. like you don't like him. You like this person you like them. And I have to say this. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents and uh, my grandpa was a Russian Jew. And he turned me on to Myron Cohen, who's a Catskills Borscht Belt comic at oh, a yeah, young yeah, age. Yeah. So I'm eight years old looking at Myron Cohen. And my friends are like, who is that? But just the subtlety uh, and the greatness of his performance style. So understated. He'd have to be on my Mount Rushmore. How about you guys? Who are your comedians on your Mount Rushmore? <laughs> Buddy. Well, sure. I wanted to say that I put my Mount Rushmore, the four comedians that I've actually seen live in mm-hmm. person perform. And that is one would be George Carlin, had a chance Great. to see him. And he was just like you said, just really engaged the audience. He like owned the audience. He could yeah. make them laugh at just, you know, just even just an expression. And it was really an amazing. Where'd you see him? Just curious. What venue did you see him? Uh, This was um, close towards the end that he was in Napa. He performed uh, over in Napa. It was one of maybe his last five or six performances. So, so yeah, Um, I've had a chance to see Jerry Seinfeld when Mm -hmm. he was doing his original stand-up routine stuff in the early eighties before he made it, you know, on his show. And and a lot of people underrate him, but you know he really actually was very very funny just doing his stand up routine. Um, Now I'm from Marin County, so the patron saint of comedy in Marin County is none other than Robin Williams. Robin Williams, yes. And I saw him during a stand up comedy competition in San Francisco, where he walked on. He wasn't even announced as one of the comedians. He absolutely stopped the show and did improv for about 30, 45 minutes and just tore us up. The entire audience, just everybody, all the other comedians were just standing there watching him basically preach to the comedy to the choir. And we were all just just enraptured by him. And the final one, and kind of underrated, but I've just seen him for a New Year's gig, and he la- makes me crack up every time I see him in anything he does, and that's Patton Oswalt. Love oh, his yeah. comedy. Love okay. his comedy. Just just really, you know, he's, he doesn't think too much of himself, and he's very humble guy but he's able to sort of have that 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 sort of uh self-effacing comedy that you don't see much these days you know he doesn't pretend like he's greater than anybody else and and then he embraces the smallness of his being to be you know able to like be in touch with his inner nerd and i really love him for that so that's a great a review of him i got a chance to work with him one night and he was all you said a very nice guy audience loved him very, really great. Great choices. Very, very good choices. Evan, how about you? Well, there's a big difference between most influential and the ones I enjoyed the most. Um, so let, let me let me just discuss the four I enjoyed the most. Okay. Um, I love Brother Theodore. Oh, yeah. Love that guy. He's great on Letterman. We used to see him. We used to see him in New York. He ran, he ran from like the 50s to the 90s or so. I mean, mm-hmm. um, he was there forever. My mom used to see him, and my mom was like, you have to go see Brother Theodore. And the guy was a genius. It was, you know, he, talk about characters. It was like a wrestling character. Sure. I mean, yeah. Um, 
Gilbert Gottfried just makes me laugh. I mean, the guy's just hilarious. Oh, love him. Um, love Kinnison, him, love him. I love Kinnison. Um, and I would say Pryor. I used to see Pryor in the movie theaters, packed movie theaters. And they would show his concert films. And uh, I, I just thought the guy was brilliant. Um, I have a Pryor story. I saw him at the very end, at the very end. And he was kind of crippled up. And he... Um, wasn't moving well. And he had these giant cue cards, giant cue cards. And he did like a 45 minute set. And he was like a shell of what he was. He was a headliner in a theater, you know, and we were used to seeing like a two hour Richard Pryor show when he was Mm -hmm. at his peak. And we all knew it was the end. And as he walked back to the dressing room, like everybody reached over just to touch him. It was really, you know, it was beautiful and sad at the same time. Was- Funny that you bring that up. I was in, in Los Angeles at the Comedy Store at, out there, and I saw out front tonight Richard Pryor. I thought, same thing. I was it you know, Richard Pryor. That must be a 20-year-old sign or something. Sure enough, you know, he, yeah, he'll be here tonight. And the same thing. They had to carry him up, each one comic on each side, out to the stage. And, and it, was, it was very painful. It's like, kind of like watching uh, Muhammad Ali versus Trevor Burbick exactly. at the end. It's like, that's not the Muhammad exactly. Ali that I remember. And I felt bad for Pryor. Yeah. So um, as far as importance, <laughs> I would I would say Lenny Bruce and yeah. George Carlin and um, uh, Cosby. Unfortunately, Cosby oh, was a brilliant comic. Sure was. And um, maybe a Dick Gregory for the color line and uh, opening I, doors. And- I think also Joan Rivers for for a or Phyllis a Diller for, for a women. Yeah. Oh I, yeah, probably Phyllis Diller before Joan Rivers, but Joan Rivers too. Tody Fields, very Tony early. Tody Fields, oh yeah, absolutely fantastic. And I think you know, to be a student of the, of comedy, just like a student of wrestling, you appreciate a good show even more. I mean, again, like I say, when I would, would watch wrestlers and I see these guys out there, it's like they, oh, I, especially the heels, that they could just get the, the ten thousand people hating them was fascinating to me. Yeah, I you know, I, com- not to say comedy is a dying thing because there's always. Comedy is as ancient as drama and, 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 you know, tragedy and all the other things that make, you know, uh, uh, a performance what it is. But I find like, I mean, if you look right now at the biggest movies that have come out, comedies have not done very well. They're not right. You don't have like a big like a, a something about Mary or or mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, a Spinal Tap or or something like that that has everybody talking about how funny a movie is. Do you think it's just the times that we're in with COVID and 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 Trump and all these other things that have kept people sort of like not in a laughing mood, or do you think that it's it's that there may be something deeper that is keeping the comedy from being? I think I think cancel culture is really doing a lot to put the kibosh on a lot of things that are funny. And I'm all for respecting people. I'm all for not punching downward. I think a guy like Dice Clay would punch down at people that were weaker. When if you're punching up with the president, like for example, I, I'm the only comedian I know that has been heckled by Donald Trump. You mentioned Donald Trump. Love him or hate him, I'm not gonna get into any kind of politics. I was in Florida 
20 years ago, opening for Rosie O'Donnell. And they, the club owner said, Donald Trump, they were friends at the time. I don't think they are now, but they were then. Ro- Donald Trump's going to be coming in. He was married to Marla Maples. That's how long ago it was. Wow. And, uh, the, the, the show will be going. It's a two-act show at a big comedy club. Most clubs are like 200 people or less. This is probably a 450 or 500-seat room in West Palm Beach, Florida. So Rosie had a house there. Trump had a house there. So I'm on stage, two-act show. I see the doors open up in the back. I was already on. The people walk in. It was two bodyguards, Donald Trump and Marla Maples. So he sits down and I'm doing my act. All of a sudden I hear, when are you going to get funny? Ooh. I know it's him. Said, and so I said, look, I know who you are. Nobody else does. Why don't you just sit there and look stupid <laughs> like you do at work all day? I'm running the show. I'm taking over this. 30 seconds later, I'm still waiting. It's him. You know, he wants to be the center of attention. So the sound and light guy turns on the lights in the, in the, sound, in the club and people, are they see him and it's like, Oh, it's Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump. It's Donald. He goes all the way through the room. So now he picks up his bar napkin and he's waving it like the white flag. And says, "Oh no, no, no!" Heckling me is like tipping over a wheelchair, saying, yeah. "I kid you. What? When am I going to get funny? When are you going to finish that haircut that you got started with an egg beater?" You and when I just oh. went after him for you know probably three minutes. I don't remember exactly what I said, but the crowd is just going wild. I said, "Okay, can I please continue with the show now?" All right, all right. So brought Rosie up like she was Hulk Hogan. It was a great show. So at the end of the night, one of the bodyguards came back to the dressing and said, Mr. Trump thought you were very funny. I said, well, he could get off his ass and come tell me that himself, but thank you very much. Wow. Out, they didn't pay their tab. So the, Trump said the, he thought the bodyguards were going to pay it. The bodyguards thought Trump was going to pay it. So it made the Tampa paper, or I'm sorry, the uh, West Palm Beach newspaper Trump the next thought day. the bodyguards were going was to gonna pay, pay They didn't pay, so he tab. left a $100. Wow. So I was talking that to my is buddy. something. Yeah, in Milwaukee, I was talking to my buddy. He had the paper there. So it made the, the paper in Milwaukee. Local comedian gets heckled by Donald Trump, and it made the West Palm Beach paper. So I still have the article somewhere. So when he got elected, I thought, oh, I got a great story now. I got heckled by a future president. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever think that, like, at the time you were heckling him, you would be get, giving, you know, crap to a guy who could have sent you to Guantanamo? Well, he for, probably you know, could have, you know. And I don't know if he's got a sense of humor or not, to be honest with you. I don't, get, I don't want to get into politics. I just don't. People, Whatever people's views are, I respect it. I don't want to argue. But, I mean, you just look at that kind of situation. I think a lot of times those guys like that are used to being in charge and they're used to being bullies. And when somebody fires back... I mean, I had nothing to lose. I got to get fired. So the crowd absolutely loved it. And it was just a, a moment in time. I'll never forget it. That is a great story. Dolby, I have a friend. His name is Nico White. He's been doing comedy since he's 15. Mm-hmm. He's, he's 28 or so now. The guy's done thousands and thousands of shows. He's, he's at the stage now where he's, you know, a headline comic, you know, touring around the country. Um, what would you advise a young comic who's, trying to get to that next level. You know, you, you mentioned him to me a while back and I try to, you know, as, as a friend and I respect your judgment. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to keep my eye on it. I'm, I'm starting to hear this guy's name and I'm hoping to meet him in person just to get backstage. Hey, you know, Evan, we're a good friend. I, I, you got to get, uh, you can't do it alone. I think that's the major mistake that every comic makes. You know, wrestlers, I, I don't know, you need to get a federation if Vince McMahon likes you. Okay, he'll take you. You need a Vince McMahon of comedy. And and unfortunately, a manager-performer relationship is like a marriage. And and it, it doesn't work more often than it does. Like, like Woody Allen had Rollins and Jaffe. That was his management for probably 40 years. And they just, they had a plan together and they put Woody in certain things and he knew what he wanted to do. A guy like Nico, you know, you're 28 years old, you've been doing it your whole life. 
life, you know, relationships get in the way and the COVID gets in the way and you got to make a living. And sometimes you make decisions in your twenties that you wouldn't make in your forties or fifties. So I would just like to see him get a mentor, whether it's you or someone that's got a little more experience and says, Hey man, you know, I like your talent, but let's think at a bigger picture rather than what's the next thing. Does that make sense to you? Oh, absolutely. He, he's, uh, acting now. So maybe that, that could be the jump. Uh, yeah. But uh, tremendously talented. I've seen him do, you know, one-hour sets. I mean, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's got it. He's really got it. Here's one thing I, I saw: John Cougar, Mellencamp, Fawcett, Majors, Rodham Clinton, whatever his yeah. name is these days. Yeah. And uh, he's had an interview. Said I had a lot of good things happen to me in the 1980s, but I didn't enjoy any of them because everything I did, I was always worried about the next thing, the next video, the next album, the next this. And I think now, uh, you know, Nico at 28, he'll get some TV spots. He'll get maybe a CD or download or a special or a Comedy Central. And if you can, you know, learn to enjoy it, and I know that's hard to tell somebody, but I think that's what I would advise, having not met the guy myself, but I would just like to see him breathe and be a human being as this is happening. It's hard to do, but that would be my advice. Well, he, he loves it. He loves it. And a tremendous talent. And uh, I just like to see him make it because he, he certainly paid his dues. <laughs> Thousands yeah. of shows, you know, waiting for that five minutes at 2 a.m. when he was oh, a kid, you uh, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm surprised you let him in the clubs that early. Did his parents have to go take him? Because 15. That I don't know. But. I'm saying to get in the clubs, that, that was a hard thing when I started out. You couldn't do that. So hopefully. He's very tall. He's very tall. Maybe oh, okay. Maybe people think he's older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, cool. so, Toby, t- tell us and tell our vi- viewers what other projects you're working on right now. Well, I'm glad you asked that, buddy. As a matter of fact, I, I happen to be. This uh, is not scripted, by the way, viewers. This is I'm just you know going off the top of my head, and I just happen to be hitting all your your bullet points. Of what well, you if you can see my hat here, I was asked to host a diabetic themed podcast called Just My Type. Oh. I was diagnosed with diabetes in 2011, and that's you, you got type two, type one. No, no, my friend. Type one. Type one, and it almost killed me 17 years ago. Seven, yeah, about 17 years ago. Well, I, hopefully, I, we could have you guest on our show then, and hopefully, Evan, yeah, you, I you, you don't have it. I'd like to be on your show and talk about my experience because well, I've had. I don't produce a drop of insulin, so I. I uh, uh, I can talk a lot about type one diabetes too much. We'd love to have you. We just launched about six weeks ago. As we record this, it is, is in the middle of March. We, we at the first of February and I was doing a show with another friend of mine in the, uh, in the, uh, Wisconsin area. And I, I try to be funny and witty. I've been on radio for 20 plus years and the guy is out of Canada. His wife has diabetes. It's called global wellness apps. And he's, he's a very entrepreneurial guy. He wants to put together a podcast that was light and our theme is we have fun, but we don't make fun. So when somebody comes on, we want you. To, it's not all clinical and boring. And I'd like to very see. much be on your show. You're going to be on. I, I can, we're we're going to have we'll, you on. We'll talk about that off the air, but but I'm very but I, interested in it. So justmytypepodcast.com. So if people that are over 35, now my, my co-host, uh, is, is a lovely young lady. Her name is Sammy Parker. She lives in the Los Angeles area. She's 22. She was type one diagnosed at age 13. So her story, she, she's a star. 
I'm thinking, you know, the whole thing, we, we meet on Zoom and thinking, she's looking at me, who's this old fart that's going to be my co-host? I'm looking at her, it's like, oh, I hope she's not a bitch. Oh, my God. She could not be any nicer. She's smart. So we, we, we've we hit the, we're the Regis and Kathy Lee of diabetes. Wow. You know, it's wow. one of those things where, and we, we hit it off really well. And we're going to, National Diabetes Month is in November. National Diabetes Day is November 14th. We're trying to put together now something at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club in Las Vegas, where our listeners can come out and we're going to record a live episode. You guys are invited if you're going to be out in the Las Vegas area and just kind of we want to have a community where type ones and type twos can talk about their experience. So we'll have you tell your diagnosis story. Mine is fascinating. Yours. I mean, everybody's got their story. So, yes, we'll definitely have you on there. And it's one of those things where every comedian has to find a niche of people that aren't being served. Jeff Foxworthy said he came up with his redneck idea from watching the Kings of Comedy with Bernie Mac and Steve Harvey and Cedric the Entertainer. He goes, no offense to them. There's a lot more rednecks. He goes that the population was more for us. You know, a guy named Russell Peters. I don't know if you know Russell Peters out of Toronto. He is of Indian descent. There's a lot of Indian people that live in Toronto. I've seen him live. He's great. He is great. But I'm saying he started with his own people you know, his own ethnicity and moved away. So now there are 34 million diabetics of all races and creeds and age groups and ethnicities. So if I can be the, the comedian that of diabetes, I'll take that, you know, and there's another white guy in the comedy clubs, just another Caucasian. You don't want that. So this is a thing. So absolutely. So thanks for having me on to, to plug that alone. I appreciate it. Oh yeah. Yeah, please. But what else? Like if people were interested in getting all of you through social media, how would they get in contact? Well, you can get to my, uh, I have a Facebook group, the Maxwell method of stand-up comedy. I do not claim to invent comedy. Colonel Sanders did not invent fried chicken. He was smart enough to put his name and face on his bucket. Yes. I put my name and face on my bucket. I've made every mistake there is to make. So aspiring comedians come along. I try to help them. I try to mentor them. And if that's my legacy, you know, I'm a utility infielder in baseball. The fans don't necessarily know that, but every professional baseball player knows those are guys to have in the dugout. Every baseball team needs one. So I, I was on Craig Ferguson. I had my moment in the sun. I'm not a star. I'm the first one to admit it. But I played in the major leagues, both in comedy and in radio. And I enjoy helping people. I enjoy mentoring people. So if that's my legacy, I'm cool with that. There you go. Dolby, um, plug anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, I, I also, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, mentor comedy classes. What else? That, that's about it. What's your next you, uh, stand-up gig? I haven't been doing a lot of them now. COVID has really affected here. I'm on the border of Chicago and Milwaukee, and Chicago very much shut down due to COVID. Uh, Wisconsin is open a little bit, but I, I am one where a craft, wrestling is a craft, comedy is a craft. You have to do it full-time to me to maintain a level of excellence. I think so. So I cannot perform comedy every week. I used to be able to work any week I wanted to. Now the gigs just aren't there and the money's not there, especially with gas prices. So I'm kind of focusing on the diabetic show and mentoring others. But uh, I, you know, I, I still like it, but boy, the grind of being out on the road, it's fun in your twenties. After that, it's the grind. Wow. Eric wow. Clapton said, I love the gigs. I hate getting there. Couldn't say it any, any better. There you go. There you go. Toby, thank you so much for appearing on the show. It's thank you, guys. Awesome. We'll have to have you on again as a guest soon. Yes. And I'll have you on our show. Anything I can ever do to plug whatever you guys are doing, let me know. Guys, we'll let, good guys hanging out. That's the way it should be, man. Thank God for the internet Absolutely. that we can do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Toby. Thanks Peace, so man. much. See you guys. Okay. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Now it's just the two of us. And, you know, unfortunately, we have to talk about the – Gosh, you know, this week, you know, before we get into even the sad, sad news, the fact that uh, Biggie fell on his neck and broke his neck in a belly-to-belly suplex, um, I just read something that said that Scott Hall had a, 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 a complication in his hip operation and that he's in uh, 
on life support right now. He's in critical condition. It was a uh, brutal week for the wrestling business. And um, I posted, I got a very nice response to it. I said, um, stop using the F word, in this case being fake, because your injuries, um, your hip replacements, your knee replacements, your divorces, etc., so on. None of this was fake as a result of the profession, professional wrestling business. And Biggie breaking his neck, breaking his neck. Um, he's lucky he's not paralyzed. He's a big, strong, powerful guy. He'll probably be okay. Whether he'll wrestle again, who knows? But it's no joke. I mean, we've seen men and women die in the ring. So, you know, the, the fake word is really offensive, especially to wrestlers. I mean, I'm not a wrestler. I'm just an avid, you know, uh, I, I deeply appreciate the art of pro wrestling. So um, that's one thing. Um, the second, um, unfortunately, Buddy, a.k.a. Russell, is going to experience what Dr. Mike and I have experienced for decades, our guests start to die. Guest on our show. And um, if you don't mind, this is a very, very short piece. I wrote this today. I, I was just so upset that I, when I'm, when I'm upset, I, um, I, I need to write. And um, I actually started a blog, and um, Pro Wrestling Post is going to... Um, run it but uh it's on my facebook page already um and ironically Patton oswalt is mentioned he was just mentioned on the show just by sheer coincidence um this will only take like two or three minutes um it's called it's chaos be kind in one of noted comedian Patton oswalt's network specials he speaks of becoming a young widower after his wife dies at the tender age of 46. His wife, a brilliant author, didn't believe in fate, karma, a higher entity's will, or anything along those lines. She exclaimed to him simply, it's chaos, be kind. Now, I had spoken to my friend J.J. McGuire just the other day, and we were planning and scheming as always. J.J. was executive producer on a sci-fi spectacular with a script in hand that he was exceedingly proud and excited about, a potential franchise. He had me on board as a producer, desired to bring some pro wrestling legends on as actors, and his mind was going a mile a minute as always. A brilliant musician, best known for his WWE entrance music themes with partner Jimmy Hart, he was also a warm, funny, eclectic, exceedingly polite, an incredibly talented guy who stayed in shape, had boundless energy, and was a shrewd businessman as well. And while COVID considerably slowed our progress with the film, he was ever networking and had an exciting lead for us that he was furiously working on. Hey, social security age guys still have dreams too. I was down with anything he said. Simply put, I believed in the guy. Vegas, meeting, spring, set it up, JJ. Hey, let's go for it. But when I went online yesterday and saw a post that JJ had died, 
I was just reeling and blurted out a shrill and sorrowful, oh no, in shock. I just read it over and over again, kept looking at his picture and realized that yes, JJ had indeed passed in his sleep, no less. For whatever odd reason, Patton Oswald popped in my head, it's chaos, be kind. Hearing my distress, my wife Hong ran out of the bedroom to see what was wrong, but I realized she knew. But just the other night, I had reacted the very same way when my longtime friend and book production guy, Jeff Arch's lovely wife, Anne, also passed. Oh no, has become the horrifying sound of yet another friend died. But I don't think there was a ever there was ever a louder oh no than that time when I went online to discover to my utter horror that my friend, wrestling legend Johnny Valiant, got mowed down by that vehicle, crossing the very spot, very same spot in Pittsburgh he had his entire life. Only this time it was a rainy, misty, foggy, early morn, and the driver didn't see him. All those roads he'd driven, all those miles, and to be killed as a pedestrian in his own backyard. The irony, poor guy didn't know what hit him. We too had spoken a few days before, his voice fresh in my head. We were going to grab some lunch soon. Well, that meal never happened, nor did the one with Nicole Bass, Tiger Khan, Melissa Coates, super wrestling agent Scott Epstein, and so many, many other beloved friends I had just spoken to. It's chaos. Be kind. I practice DDP yoga three times a week, go to the gym regularly, take Tai Chi classes, and quite often get the, you look good for your age, amusing semi-compliment. But it dawns on me that if I do indeed live to 100, I'll be burying a whole lot of other friends and exclaiming way too many oh no's that I want to think about. Or I could suddenly drop dead tomorrow because it's chaos. So be kind. That's it. I wrote that today um, just out of sadness, frustration, anger. Two friends gone in four days. And, um, you know, as, as Buddy will attest, we've done over 100 shows and probably a quarter of them have been honoring dead friends. It's, um, no, I think a quarter of them haven't had to deal with somebody dying. The other 75% have had somebody dying on the show. And I, you know, had to mourn my friend and former talent, um, Aaron Kamini, you know, who died just three weeks ago. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And it just... It, 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 the only the only other alternative is that you just don't care, you know, and if you don't care about people, then these things don't matter to you when people die. But if you care, if you take the time to care, you take it to the time to reach out and get to know somebody. Now, J.J. McGuire was not someone I'd ever known prior to this show, and he could have come and passed without me ever acknowledging him. But the fact that we did do this show together, Evan. You connect. He, be he became a friend of mine, and he was someone that I really looked forward to talking to. And his loss, not 
as deeply felt as it would be to you because you were in much closer contact with him still is significant for me and my world is a sadder place without him yeah it's um you know people have to realize that just he was in his late 60s and people still have dreams and goals and plans and you know they're they're cut short they're, they're just uh you know and I, I always have this odd reaction when somebody dies. I just go, wow, I'm never going to speak to him again. You know, like it just hits you and it, it's um, very uh, painful. I, uh, it was a rough day today. It was, uh, and, and one thing I think he'd be pleased with um, as a creative person, he devoted his life to creating art, um, one, Everything he did will survive. I mean, you know, those entrance themes and uh, the music he did with the gentries and, um, you know, he, he would, I think the number, I mean, I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not wrong, but I believe it was 114 entrance themes, 114, you know, and they'll play forever. They're iconic. They're yeah, iconic. iconic. They'll be part of wrestling's uh, fabric for all time and even even more a lot of it was quality music it wasn't just like you know uh schlock that they that they'll toss on today you know he 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 explained to us you know that this fit that character this made sense this you know and the music meant something to him it wasn't just a, a catchy little ditty it, it made sense and I well, think. and not just that, they encapsulate an era. I mean, you hear something like the beginning parts of, like, Demolition coming in. The, the, you know, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. That just, it brings you, it, it makes you travel back in time to when you first saw those guys get in the ring. Or the, 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 the original parts of Sexy Boy for uh, Shawn Michaels theme. You know, it put, it makes you, transports you back into 1995 or 1997. And suddenly you're, you're, you're that person again. Those are things that I think, I, I know that he knew he touched people, but I don't think he ever knew the incredible depth of how many generations of people he touched with his music. Music has a way of doing that. Well, with the WWE Network and uh, YouTube and everything else in between, that music will play forever. So he has he has a piece of immortality. I think that music was instrumental in the Hulkamania rock and wrestling era and putting over the new product. And I think, uh, you know, I think he should be in the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. And um, he loved Jimmy Hart. He never had a bad word to say about him. You know, he always said, my friend, you know, we're still close. And um, but he was kind of in Jimmy's shadow because Jimmy was more famous and, you know, a, a wrestling personality. So um, I, it's, I'm happy that in the past few years, his name also got out there, you know, uh, Pro Wrestling Stories and Pro Wrestling Post. And, and this very show. This show, uh, other shows. Um, um, Jim Phillips worked with him. He has a, a great autobiography that's out, um, JJ. So, and and art, art motivates art. I mean, 
that piece I just read was motivated by JJ. So just by saying, I'm thinking of doing a blog, you know, multiple people contacted me, you know, we want to showcase it, we want to run it. So one thing leads to another. I, 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 you know, the guy was just a wonderful guy. I mean, we, he was. I, spoke to, I spoke to him three, four times a month and, uh, you know. Yeah. And the sad part is we were going to have him on as a repeat guest. And we just couldn't find the time to get him on here. And you just never know when tomorrow doesn't come. And you, you, never, you never know when that's going to happen. Also, people have really, really don't realize that um, when he was on top with the Gentries, they had a number one single. I would talk about like legendary musicians and he'd always be like, oh, I jammed with that guy. We opened for that guy. That guy opened for us, you know. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, like the biggest names in music history. He he had an interesting life, and uh, he he was he was on Thunder in Paradise, so he was even you know an actor, and uh, he he loved wrestling. I mean, he 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 understood the good, bad, and ugly of it, but he loved wrestling and his time in it, and uh, he was working indies in different comp capacities in recent years. And, uh, you know, he was just, um, you know. Even I, though he was a big part of wrestling, I don't think he ever felt he was above it or that he was ever more than just a fan like the rest of us are. You know, I think that's when you, you wrestling, you leave that realm of wrestling when you feel that you're no longer a fan because you're above all of it. And that's where yeah. I think he was very know. humble. A, yes. a lot of a lot of extremely talented and successful people are humble. A lot of nobodies have egos and are, are you know obnoxious. And the strange the strangest thing that happened to me today was um, you know William Hurt, who also passed, the great actor William Hurt. He was a Facebook friend of mine, but I, I did not know him whatsoever. You know, I just work in the film business in different capacities and we were facebook friends so you know that guy he was a talented guy and uh i, I was saddened to hear that as well and um yeah it's just um the past few years have just been very rough between covid and and uh but i'll tell you though i'll tell you i um i, I was sitting in a nice warm apartment today and you know, luckily, you don't have some lunatic invading your city, your country. Uh, you still have to count your blessings, even though life is a challenge. And uh, you know, and and let me just say one other thing: as somebody who is also taught English second language, I've taught Ukrainians, I've taught Russians. The average Rus, the average Russian on the street, you know, you can't judge them by the by their politicians i mean you know yeah i think i know we try to judge that's what trump was doing yeah my grandfather my grandfather was from russia i mean he escaped to the united states the pogroms and uh you know so please don't take it out because because i'm reading like one russian restaurant after another in the u.s uh you know, the, the, the business has just plummeted. A lot of these guys escaped depression. No, take, if you're going to be mad at someone, take, take it out on someone that was wearing I'd rather be Russian than a Democrat t-shirt a couple of years back along with their MAGA hats. 
Those are the ones you need to take it out on. Don't take it out on Russian restaurants because they, they don't have anything to do with it. But we're in yet another weird crisis. You know, we go from COVID now to the whole Putin thing. Who knows where it's all going to end up? Anyway, uh, you know, it's it's good that at least we have the show, you know, that endures through all of this and that we had our time with JJ and we were able to give him a chance to really uh, talk about himself. And, and that, that show, show number 17, will live forever in my heart as and a thanks, special moment. And, and thanks life. to J.P. Zaka, who um, posted it today on Pro Wrestling Stories. I didn't ask. It was very gracious of him just to, just to honor the guy. And um, so I, I say this all the time, and I, I, I know we're running out of time quickly. I'll say it fast. Um, you know, when, when you create art, even though we're not living off of this and we don't have big sponsors or anything, you know, that show we did with JJ now has real, you know, value to the family, the friends, the fans. And that's why to you us. To, to us. us. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I was watching some of it today and I'm like, the guy's gone. And, you know, there he is talking, looking healthy, vibrant. So it's there forever, forever. And 20 years from now, a niece or a nephew can go on YouTube and pull that up. And it's meaningful. That's why, that's why you do this. It's, um, I'll leave you with this. There's wrestling websites that churn out 12 to 15 pieces of content a day meaningless vanilla pablum just just to you know generate money and that's that's not why you create art you you do it because it's from the heart and and you believe in it and it's meaningful to you and you know if you listen closely just not adobe maxwell he was that guy was pouring his heart out the good the bad and the ugly of of life on the road and uh the sacrifices you make and it's meaningful, and one day Dolby won't be here, and we won't be here, but the show will be here, and you know that's that's why you do it. And uh, just rest in peace, rest in peace, J.J. McGuire, Ann Archer, William Hurt, uh, anybody else. You know, there's so, so many people dying, I lose track. But uh, it's uh, it, we're still here, and we'll be here next week. All right, we're still here. That's right. Hopefully, 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 hopefully so. All right. All right well, good happened, night, everybody, and and thanks for being here, Evan. Good show. Good night. Thank you.